This week, this reading is from James chapter 4, verse 13 to chapter 5, verse 6. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will, we will go to do this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we live to do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver has, are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last few days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourself, yourselves in the day of, of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Sam, that was a great Bible reading. Thank you very much indeed. So much easier to preach on a passage when it's been well read. Fantastic to see you. Welcome to Trinity. Welcome to people who are going to be watching this at Crouch End. My name's Jeremy. If we haven't already met, it's really good to be looking at the Bible with you here this Sunday afternoon. Some words from James chapter 1 as we begin. Here are some words. Humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Do what it says. Well, we're going to pray that that'll happen as we listen to God's word this afternoon. So let's pray as we start. Let's, let's pray. Father God, I, I pray that we would be people who humbly accept the word that you've planted in us, that we wouldn't just be hearers of the word, we would be doers of the word as well. And I pray, Father God, that you would give us single-minded faith, that consistent trust in your gospel word. And so as, as we humbly sit under your word this afternoon and accept what it says, so we would work out the implications of your word for each one of us individually, and, and we would do those things. And we really do need your help as we humble ourselves under your mighty hand. Help us do that, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, here's uh, some information that can save your life. Okay. 
remember this, it's quite important to know that, to, to know this. If, um, if you feel at any point in your life like there's an elephant suddenly sitting on your chest and, and you get some discomfort and it goes up into your jaw or, or maybe down into your left arm and, uh, and you feel short of breath, it's quite likely you're having a heart attack. Remember that, okay? It's important information. Second piece of information, if, uh, if your face has dropped a bit on one side and uh, you have weakness or numbness down one side of your body and maybe your speech is a little bit slurred, it's quite possible you're having a stroke. Okay, remember that, that could save your life. And, and if you find yourself uh, listening to a worship song in the car one second and the next second you're swearing at the driver who's just cut you up, or um, if, if you're reading your Bible on your phone and then uh, you find yourself the next second sending a really sarcastic email, or uh, if, you, if you walk out of church uh, this afternoon feeling all sort of spiritual and then you find yourself mentally criticizing the people that you're walking past, then this is important information. You could be suffering from what the Bible calls double-mindedness. From, from what, the, uh, what the book of James calls double-mindedness. Now, maybe you're sitting there thinking, oh, but we all do that. That's, um, that's like what I do every day. And, um, and I, I, I think that's mainly true of me. I think I've been like that this week. And uh, you might be reassured that God's grace is just absolutely endless. We saw that in the passage that we looked at last, uh, last time we looked at the book of James. It says, but God gives more grace. God gives more grace. I love that verse so much. I've written it on, at the top of our stairs. So every time I walk up the stairs, I read that verse. It's a great comfort to me. But that doesn't make double-mindedness any less serious. It's still a serious thing. So if you've got James there in front of you, or, or you can have a look at it on your phone, um, then have a look back to chapter 1, verse 8. That's the first time it talks about being double-minded. Double-minded, literally um, two-souled. Uh, sort of having a split personality, if you like. That's what it says, uh, chapter 1, verse 8. Talking about someone who's um, sort of um, one minute facing this way, the next minute they're facing the other. It says, um, such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Going to be unstable. Do you want to be an unstable Christian? If you want to be a stable Christian, then uh, you need to know that, that the word and the world don't sit very comfortably around the same dinner table. Uh, you can have to choose one or the other. And then James comes back to that in, in chapter 4 and the bit just before the bit that we're looking at. Um, chapter 4, this is really the heart of it. Nathan explained that so well to us the other week that um, double-mindedness is, is, a, is a sort of adultery. It's that serious. Chapter 4, verse 4. Can you see that? This is what James says to the churches, right, to scattered churches uh, across this part of the world. That's what he says. You adulterous people. That's pretty strong, isn't it? Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. In other words, you, you, you can't be a Christian and a non-Christian at the same time, however hard you try. Because it's like trying to entertain a spiritual mistress. 
That's what, that's what you're trying to do. It's, it, it's not good for us to try and two-time God. We might think it's quite a cool way to do Christianity. I think that I did when I was, when I was a teenager. I thought, um, I'm so cool. I can be a, be a Christian in church on Sunday, and yeah, I can hang out with all my friends, and I can drink just as much as they can. Double-mindedness doesn't work. There's no stability. There's no perseverance as a Christian that way. And in fact, it's a kind of pride. It's a sort of pride. And, and that's why the answer to double mindedness is so obvious in, in some ways. It's, it's um, chapter 4, verse 9. It's to grieve. That's what, that's what the Queen's doing this morning, isn't it? It's to grieve over our double mindedness. I don't know if you've ever done that. Have you grieved? And then to humble ourselves before the Lord. That's the, um, that's the treatment for pride. Humbling yourself, what's that going to look like? Well, um, James being James doesn't leave that as a sort of beautiful calendar verse that we can put up in the, on, on the kitchen wall. He shows us exactly how to humble our hearts in two particular areas. And they both began the same way. Do you notice that as Sam was reading it out? Now listen, he says in chapter 4, verse 13. Now listen, he says in chapter 5, verse 1. Now I guess he's chosen the two areas which are most relevant to the churches that he's writing too, but they but they catch us out as well. Okay, they catch us out. Two key areas that he's going to talk about, and that's um, the diary. Okay, the diary and the bank statement. Okay, the diary and the bank statement. He's going to bring it down to specifics, and he's going to talk about those two areas. Whoops, those two areas of our lives. First of all. Then, the diary, chapter 4, verses 13 to 17. And we're summarizing it like this. A word to the planner. A word to the planner. Let's start at chapter 4, verse 13. Let me read it out. This is what he says. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Now, um, I don't know if you're a planner, uh, we, know, we know from the Bible in several places that there's nothing wrong in itself with planning. The Bible speaks quite highly of it in, uh, in, in several places. And verse 13, that verse that I just read, seems like a very reasonable thing to say, doesn't it? I mean, if most of our kids said something like that, we'd be delighted. That would be great, wouldn't it? You know, get a proper business plan. That's what we have here. It's not like they're robbing banks. There's nothing wrong with planning unless it leaves God out of the equation. That's the thing, unless it leaves God out completely. Can you see the pride in that? Can you feel the pride in making plans that rely completely on us? They, the, the problem was really coming in verse 13, we will, if it leaves God out of the equation, because it makes two fatal miscalculations, okay? Two serious mistakes with that approach to life. First of all, it, it forgets that there's a limit to our knowledge. There's a limit to our knowledge. I mean, on the one level, obviously we know that there's a limit to our knowledge. I mean, we still look at the, uh, the weather forecast. We wonder what's going to happen to the virus rates, whether there's going to be a fourth wave, fifth wave, that sort of thing. But we don't like living with uncertainty. We don't like that at all. And so what we tend to do by and large, is to assume that tomorrow is going to be roughly the same as today. 
in, in vague terms. Tomorrow's gonna to be pretty much the same situation as, as we've faced today. And all of us calculate like that. And so when, when the unexpected happens, we're just devastated, we're floored by it. We just didn't see it coming. There's a limit to our knowledge. And um, second miscalculation, there's a limit to our lifespan. What is your life, it says. That's quite a deep question for a Sunday afternoon, isn't it? Don't you think? Uh, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Uh, I've got some uh, Evian facial spray just here. You can uh, so spring water that you can uh, spray on your face. According to the back, you can get pure and fresh hydration every day with the Evian facial spray, a lightweight mist enriched with essential mineral salts. Just in case, in case you're worrying, uh, in case you're wondering. But uh, here's a visual representation of your life. Okay, are you ready for this? This is my represent. This is the Bible's representation of your life. Did you get that? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. It's true, isn't it? It feels to me sometimes like, um, and did you know that of, of the people born in my year, and I know there are a few of us that were born in the same year as me who are here this afternoon, out of those of us who were born in 19... One out of 20 have already died. One out of 20. And it feels to me like we're just walking along next to this paper-thin wall the whole time that divides this world from the next, and then all of a sudden, someone falls through, and they're just gone. Just gone. I remember the first time that came home to me, actually. Uh, so uh, I was about eight years old. I was at primary school, and I came up with this fantastic wheeze, uh, you know what eight-year-old boys are like. And I thought that um, I'd collect everyone's signatures at school just in case one of us became famous. I thought I'll, I'll, I'll get everyone to sign a piece of paper and then, you know, 30 years' time, I could sell one of those for, for quite a lot of money. Uh, and um, I remember asking a friend called Mandy, Mandy Sutton. Uh, and I, I remember where she was, weirdly. She was sitting on the, sitting on the stairs at school and I asked her for a signature. Um, and then, uh, I don't think we knew at the time, she had a heart defect, and about three months later she died. So it's me. And I just remember looking at the signature in, in my book, and you could see the strength he'd used, of, you know, the imprint on the page as she'd written her name. And she'd just gone. She just wasn't there anymore. You know, we're like, we're like a mist that just vanishes. And that humbles us. It brings us right down to size, you see. This is James's treatment for proud people. And the point is not just so that we say, verse 15, so that we say, if it's the Lord's will, like a sort of talisman, every time we, every time we make a plan, like some good luck charm, it's um, so that we remember to do all the good that we can. That's the, that's the point, I think, of verse 17. Have a look down at verse 17. 
Seems a bit sort of stuck on the end, doesn't it, of this paragraph. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Seems a bit tacked on the end. But I think, I think the connection is this. If my plans for the future stop me doing the good that I should be doing now, then that's a sin. Let me explain that again. You know, if I've got a plan for the future and it grips me so strongly that I'm prevented from the doing the good that I should be doing today, then, then, then that's sinful. And, and it's funny how easily that can happen. And we, we're so busy planning the next project and, and, and the next career, the next investment, that we forget that we're called to live a godly life today. And we don't even know when that's going to happen. We don't know what God's plans are for tomorrow. We don't even know if we'll survive that long. But we can be so busy fixing on the future that the present gets forgotten. Um, so, um, scramblers and explorers, I don't know, I, I, can't, I can't speak for your mum and dad, but sometimes we can get so caught up with your education for the future that we forget to be kind to you when we see you. That's a funny thing, isn't it? We can be so keen for your future that somehow we sort of forget to love you to the full extent that we could in the day-to-day. -day. Sometimes we can be um, so taken up with planning the next big holiday that we forget to rest in the Lord day by day. Um, or maybe we're, we're so looking forward to the time that we can hug our friends and be together with them that we forget we can send them an encouraging text over supper. Uh, there was a guy called Richard Baxter. He's a bit of a hero of mine, but he, he, uh, he was a preacher who lived a long, long, long time ago. You can probably tell from his picture when it comes up. Uh, he wasn't born yesterday. But um, he understood that his life was short. Maybe it was a bit easier in those days, maybe because death was a bit more obvious, I guess. But... Um, he was aware that every time he preached might be his last time. That's a good discipline, isn't it? This is how he described his preaching. Uh, I put in the word someone just to help you, help you understand. But I, I preached as someone never sure to preach again. And as a dying man to dying men. Life was short. He was doing the good that he could. Not knowing what the future was going to bring. A word to the planner then. There's a, there's a limit to what you know about tomorrow. There's a limit to the length of your life. Do, do the good that you can day by day and plan humbly. Submit it all to the Lord. Humble yourselves under God's mighty hand, says James, when you get out your diary. And then secondly, when you get out your bank statement. That's, that's the other thing, other thing we're going to hear James say today. And it comes in chapter 5, verses 1 to 6. So if you've got that in front of you, have a look down at it. And, and we're calling this a warning to the hoarder. A warning to the hoarder. How a hoarder's going to be humbled? Well, you probably heard when Sam read it out. These are some of the strongest words of condemnation in, uh, in the whole of the New Testament, I think. Um, searing words. And uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure they're aimed at Christians directly. Now, there's no direct call to repentance here. I think the situation that 
that James is writing into is a situation where there are, are people who are quite well off, sort of your senior managers outside the church, and then it's the people inside the church who are being exploited. We'll come back to that next week. But of course, in our situation, we find ourselves, I guess, as relatively rich Christians. So we'll want to listen in and see what we can learn. Here's the disaster of hoarding, verse 2, the disaster of hoarding. James says, your wealth has rotted and, your, and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver have corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. That's all the days between Jesus' first coming and, and his second coming. You ever wanted a cashmere jumper? Turns out it's just expensive moth feed. That's all it is. Invested in gold during the lockdown, plenty of people have. It's rusting away. And uh, it'll burn you like a hot potato unless you pass it on. That's the thing. You don't want to keep hold of it. Wealth, wealth gives you this amazing opportunity to help other people. If, if we have money, then we have this amazing opportunity to do good with it. And I know that there are plenty of people in this church and other churches who invest their money exactly that way. But if we're hoarding, then we're wasting. You know, whenever you hear that someone's died and you ask how much did they leave, the answer is always the same everything so pass it on before it burns you but, but, because it, it, it's going to make you feel cr feel proud if if um if you just feel a bit more safe the more that you have then you'll know the danger pass it on before the opportunity to use it has gone that's what james says it's the disaster of hoarding. And then there's the, um, the danger of exploitation. That comes in verse 4. Look, says James, look, the wages you failed to pay to the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You know, it's, it's when we surround ourselves with all our things that we just become a little bit less sensitive to the needs of others. We get a bit blind to that. And, and, and before you know it, your quality of life has just inched up. It's frightening how quickly that happens, isn't it? But the people we haven't paid can't eat. And, and being wealthy can make us so insensitive to the needs of others sometimes. I don't know, James would want us to be practical, wouldn't he? Um, what about the cleaners and the nursery workers uh, that maybe we didn't pay over lockdown? Last year, I think there were two and a half thousand people rescued from modern day slavery in London, in London. How do we know they're not getting our car washed by someone who's been people trafficked? Uh, maybe, maybe like me, you know, you, you find what you want, that sort of piece of electronics you've been looking for for a while on, on eBay and you just go for the cheapest one and, and, and you don't ask any questions. 
Now, these, these um, verses are written to non-Christians, but we're supposed to be listening in. Humble yourselves under God's mighty hand. Humble yourself. And recognize the cross of Jesus Christ. Do you, do you notice he, he's the innocent one of verse 6? As James talks to those who are exploiting others, he says, you have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. No, he, he was dying to give you grace, to pay for your debt. You know, there was, a, there was an Easter play. It's funny how you remember these things. There's an Easter play that I took part in when I was a teenager at school. And it was ridiculously simple, really. And we put it on uh, at Easter time, uh, just before the beginning of the Easter holidays. And uh, it was set in Jerusalem. And uh, we, um, we sort of pretended to be people who got in a time machine. Uh, and we'd gone back to observe the crucifixion. And uh, you can imagine what happened. We sort of, um, by the end, we, we were in the crowd and we were calling for Jesus' death. And that was the, that was the play, really. Uh, and the point was that we are all responsible for killing Jesus. That's true, isn't it? We're all responsible. It's important thing to remember at Easter, isn't it? That we're all responsible for killing Jesus. And you know, in verse 6, I think the point is that if we don't humble ourselves, if we continue the way in which we're living double-mindedly, we're condemning and murdering Jesus. The, the sins that we're committing are being put onto him on the cross. Such a stark warning. Humble yourselves under God's mighty hand. Godless planners are just like mist, says James, and unjust hoarders, chapter five, verse five, are just like cattle. But we are to patiently persevere like farmers. Okay? That's what we're going to find out next week. Now, I'm just going to give you a little, a little snapshot. Verse 7, you see that? Let me read on. Be patient then, brothers and sisters. He's coming back to talk to Christians. Be patient until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop. Patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. That's where it's all going to be heading. Be patient. But in the meantime, yeah, we're going to want to be humble as we plan. We're like a mist. We don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. We're to do the good that we can. Not, not so distracted by the future that we forget to do good in the present. We're to be humble with our savings, not to hoard them to insulate ourselves against the world, but to pass them on like a, like a hot potato before they burn us. And we're to remember the cross of Jesus Christ. You know, when we, when we stand under the cross humbly, grieving for our sin, then God promises to lift us up because there is no end to the grace that he will provide. Let's pray, shall we? Let's pray. Father God, we want to be people who humble ourselves under your mighty hand, knowing that you will lift us up, that uh, you give us more grace. I pray, Father, we'd hear the warning. Uh, those of us who love to make plans, Father, I pray that we wouldn't make plans without you. I pray we'd recognize the, 
the brevity of our life and the and and the, and and our ignorance about even what will happen tomorrow. I pray, Father, we'd be so careful not to hoard and exploit. It's so easy in a consumerist society where it seems like the person who has the most is one. And I pray, Father, that we'd be very distinctive with the way that we treat our possessions. I pray most of all, Father, that you give us the kind of single-minded faith that comes to the cross in humble recognition of what Jesus has done and ask for that endless grace to be shown to us. Give us that single-minded faith, Father. We're asking for it in Jesus' name. Amen.